Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 7. We're actually going to uh, meander this morning uh, through chapter 7, 8, and 9. Uh, lots of different verses as you see up here, but don't panic. We'll, uh, we'll work our way through that. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, don't panic. The verses will be on the screen in just a second. Uh, before we jump into this, uh, I want to uh, let you know that right after this service, uh, we're going to be having our, uh, election, our officer elections. We've been going through the nomination process over the summer, and now we've done all the reviews on the, on the candidates. And uh, all four of those folks are being brought forward this morning to be uh, voted on for deacons. I'm a little worried about Green Tree. Uh, one of the names on this list, we have Sarah McGinnis, Nancy Pratt, Foster Scrow, which all look good, but then there's this guy named Nate Ricks on the list too. And boy, am I feeling old this morning. <laughs> I can't have a child old enough to be a deacon in the church. But uh, So we're going to have a very brief meeting. If you're a member, we'd ask that you stick around. Uh, it's a ballot with a pencil. We just, uh, we'll hand you the ballot, you vote, and then you're, uh, then you're on your way. But it's an important uh, process that we, uh, that we go through this morning. I was walking out of church last Sunday and uh, got stopped by two different people and had the same conversation. And the conversation went along the lines of, wow, this, this stuff in Genesis is pretty heavy. You know, we've been, we've been talking about sin for the last couple of weeks and the conviction and the, and the, and the, and the struggle and the pain that sin brings into our life. You know, is it going to get any easier? Uh, one of the, one of the friends said, you know, I was one of the people that asked you a year or so ago if we could think about going through Genesis, but boy, I didn't know it was going to be this tough. And, uh, and I agreed with him. I said, you know, the, the conviction of, uh, what sin does in our lives, the destructive power. Uh, I got to tell you, I've left the last two Sundays feeling a bit uh, overwhelmed myself. Uh, but I said to both of them, now, now don't panic because uh, last week we, we started looking at uh, Noah's situation and next week we're going we're gonna to run through, we're going to sprint through uh, the story of Noah. But it really, it really ends in a good spot because, you know, it, it ends with a, with a rainbow. And who doesn't like a rainbow? So it's a real joyful kind of thing. And, and one of the, the, the folks standing next to our conversation said, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's hippos and rainbows. You know, it's hippos and rainbows. And so I said, you know what? That's going to be the, that's going to be the sermon title next week. Hippos and rainbows. Cause who doesn't love a hippo and who doesn't really enjoy a rainbow? And, and then I, and then I studied hippos this week. And, uh, I'll just read this for you briefly. Hippos are the most feared animals in Southern Africa. Each year more people are killed by them than by all other animals put together. <laughs> hippos weigh up to two tons and can be four meters long. Hippos are vegetarians and feed exclusively on grass. Okay, well, that doesn't sound too bad. But hippos watch strictly over their territories and threaten anybody invading but by what looks like yawning. If the invader does not withdraw, they usually attack without any further hesitation. Smaller boats are particularly at risk because a hippo can easily topple it over, and as their front teeth are as sharp as razor blades... Chances of survival are slim. <laughs> Almost all of the famous African explorers and hunters, Livingston, Stanley, Burton, Sela, Specky, had boating mishaps with hippos, all considered the hippo to be a wantonly malicious beast. Spencer Tyron, a hunter, was killed while hunting near the shores of Lake Rukwa in Tanzania. A bull hippo turned over the dugout canoe from which Tyron was shooting and bit off his head and shoulders. <laughs> Hippos and rainbows. Boy, we are really excited about this, uh, this sermon this morning. And I got to tell you, there, there, now that I have a different perspective on hippos, uh, there is a bit of hippo in this sermon. <laughs> but there is an end to it that shows us the deeper truth of God's promises. 
uh, what TJ was talking about, the, the, the covenant promises that God makes to us that sustain us when maybe we're facing those, those hippo moments in our lives. So as I said a moment ago, we're going to, uh, we're going to meander uh, a little bit through uh, Genesis 7, 8, and 9. Uh, and so it's going to be maybe a, a little bit of a, of a challenge to follow along in your scriptures. You may just want to... I normally read right out of my Bible. I'm actually uh, going to read from the screen this morning. Uh, but as we look at this passage, I, I want you to keep three things in mind. The first is I want us to see the tragic result of man's sin and rebellion. The second is I want you to see a picture of faith set against the backdrop of human hostility, natural disaster, and God's promise. So not only man's rebellion and sin, but also the picture of faith. And then thirdly, as we read this text and study this morning, insight into the faithfulness of God, the rainbow after the storm, so to speak, uh, and the encouragement that it offers. So with that in mind, hear the word of God as we kind of wander through uh, Genesis uh, 7, 8, and 9. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah, his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons went with them, and they entered the ark. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. In the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds of the livestock and the beasts of the earth, with you as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this shall be a sign. Uh, This is the sign of that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. When, you, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is a reading of God's holy and perfect word to him be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, the, uh, the promise of redemption is something that gets, uh, gets all of our attention. The thought that there is a hope beyond this life, that there is a God who is concerned with the struggles and the, the challenges that we face, uh, that there is a Lord in heaven who uh, provides for his people, that makes promises and keeps those promises is uh, truly good news. 
if we stop and consider. Father, we live in a world full of bad news. We live in a world that uh, challenges us day in and day out. Whether, whether we call ourselves disciples of Jesus or Christians or, or we call ourselves atheists or agnostics or something in between or some other uh, form of religion, the challenge is before us to live in a broken and dying world with some sense of, of order, some sense of a deeper meaning. Lord, that's why we're here this morning. Uh, we don't just want to go through an, a religious activity that really at the end of the day is pointless. We don't just want to feel better. Father, we need to know the deeper truth that can be a foundation for all of our lives. And Father, that certainly isn't going to be found in what I say or how I say it. Father, it doesn't matter how I try to tug on people's emotions or their heartstrings or challenge their intellect. At the end of the day, man's words are simply man's words. It is only your eternal word that lasts forever. It is only your perfect word that has the power to transform and change our lives. So, Father, it is that word for which we pray this morning, that you would remember your people, that you would show us yourself again, merciful, loving, and gracious Father. Father, I pray that you would forgive my sins, that I would not stand in the way of what you want me to learn or anybody else in this room to learn this morning of your faithfulness and your goodness. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come, that you would be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, we really skipped a whole lot of different sections in the story of Noah in that, that Scripture passage reading. It, it takes really uh, from the middle uh, of chapter 6 all the way through the end of, of chapter 9. Uh, to really cover the story in depth, but uh, I'm trusting that somewhere in the resources, uh, recesses of your mind, you've heard the story uh, of Noah before. It may not be the case. There may be some that have not read it, but, uh, and if you haven't and you don't own a Bible, you can grab one out on our table there, and, and Genesis is the first book in the Bible. You can go to chapter 6 and start reading and read that whole passage, but, but probably for a good number of us, uh, we know something about a guy named Noah who got some animals and it flooded and they went on an ark uh, and they came out on the other side of it. Uh, and that's about as much of the story as, as we've read this morning, uh, because I want to simply kind of bounce through this passage uh, and pick out some aspects of faith that I think are important for us to see. Uh, I have five observations in this text this morning, uh, and we're going to, as I said, just kind of meander through it, because I think uh, that it's important that we understand faith, not conceptually, uh, not intellectually, but that we understand how it applies to our lives, that there's actually uh, a practical working out of faith uh, that needs to occur in your life and needs to occur in my life uh, if we're going to be in relationship with God. So uh, I'm going to kind of share these with you in, in uh, no particular order of importance, but I am going to go kind of chronologically through the text because I think all five of them are, are of key uh, importance. So the first one is found in, in chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Uh, God asking Noah to, to build the ark in the first place, which he's, he's already done, now continues to, to remind Noah that faith is not a mental exercise. It's an action based on the character of God. Your faith and my faith, if, if we have faith, it's not just a mental exercise. It's not just enough to say, you know, yeah, now that I think about it, there is a God. You know, and perhaps there's something to this Jesus guy. Uh, so that's my faith. Friends, that's, that's not faith. A, a mental assent uh, to something you believe may be true is not faith. Faith is exercised by the actions and the activities of my life based on the character of God. 
Noah has been building this ark uh, for at least 60 plus years, maybe even longer. Think about that. I'm 50 years old, okay? That, that doesn't begin to cover the time that it took Noah just to put this whole thing together. All that time, as we pointed out last week from, from that obscure verse out of Second Peter, Noah has been preaching to the people of his generation, has been talking to his neighbors. I'm sure that if an ark started going up in Kirkwood, Missouri today and was built for the next 60 years by hand, it would draw some local attention. My guess is that it would from time to time make the Webster Kirkwood Times. My guess is it would be found in USA Today and that probably the whole world would begin to talk about what was going on. You don't just go out and throw an ark together and have nobody notice. And you see people coming by and going, no, what on earth is this all about? And Noah preaching that people need to repent, that God is going to come in his judgment because of the hostile environment that man has created and their rebellion against God. And so Noah has been exercising this faith in the midst of neighbors probably saying, Noah, what are you doing? You know, we, no, we, we've got a name for folks like you. We, we call you kooks. <laughs> you know, there's something really wrong with you, Noah. Maybe you should get in to see a good counselor and get some of these things, these, these issues from your childhood straightened out. But Noah acted on what he knew of God. Noah acted on what he knew about the character of God. And now one more time, God is saying to Noah, trust me. And I think it's the same for us as, as being disciples about Jesus today, if you call yourself that. Uh, being a disciple of Jesus, I think sometimes uh, we've been sold a false bill of goods, so to speak, because perhaps uh, you've heard this kind of message, you know, come to Jesus and your problems will be taken care of. Come to Jesus and, and, and the deep issues of your life will be soothed out and everything will be okay. Now, ultimately, uh, the answers to our lives are found in Christ. Uh, but as, uh, as Josh mentioned earlier, some of the greatest heroes of the faith literally died claiming to follow Christ. They were literally tortured and, and murdered for their faith. It doesn't always work out in this life the way we think it should. And in the Western society, we are, we are consumed with the idea of comfort, with the idea of happiness, with the idea of, of absence of any kind of conflict, of any kind of bump in the road. But being a disciple of Jesus, being, being uh, even, even uh, Noah, who was in essence a disciple of Jesus, although Jesus hadn't come yet, being a disciple and following God, it's not about ease. It's not about a lack of stress or about a lack of problems. It's about faith. It's about actively trusting God with every aspect of my life. It's not faith in any person, but it's a faith in God. I remember being, being a, on the staff of a church where the pastor committed suicide. And I remember talking to people who would say to me, if, if this person was so despondent, if this person was so sad, if this person uh, had that much anxiety in their life, I don't know that I can have any faith. And I loved my brother who took his life. I, I held him in great regard, but my faith was not in him. And, and, and to talk to my friends and say, you know what, you, People will always disappoint you. Faith is not about trusting another human being. Please don't put your faith in me. <laughs> don't ever do that. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. And my faith in Christ is an action. It's, an, it's not just an attitude. It covers every corner of our life. And at this moment, God says to, to Noah, trust me by getting in the ark. <laughs> it's time to get on board. It's one more opportunity for you to trust me. And so in a sense, and this is a bit of a distortion, I know, but I, I began to ask myself this week, well, where's my ark? <laughs> Where's God asking me to get on board? Where's God saying to me, Tom, I, I know this is one more challenge and I know this is one more uh, 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 maybe stress point for you, but you need to trust me here. And you need to actively trust me 
Where's, where's the ark in your life? Where's the challenge to trust? Because faith is not a mental exercise. It's an action based on God's character. The second point is this. Faith is simply, in, in many respects, following. Uh, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 7 through 13, uh, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, so if you're doing it on a calendar year, which we're not, but that would be February 17th, if you want to just kind of look what would be the second month. That, so anyway, that's kind of the early part of the year. Uh, the fountains of the great deep burst forth. The windows of heaven were open. The rain fell on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. That very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Now, it's easy to read that they entered the ark. You go, well, yeah, that, that obviously makes sense. He had built it, and God had told him it was going to be his salvation. It was going to be the way God was going to, to spare him and his family. Uh, you know, that, that's not that big of a deal. Uh, obviously not a tough decision, right? Well, let's try to put ourselves in the context of the story. Uh, Noah had relatives. Noah had aunts and uncles, cousins. Uh, we know from Scripture that his father, his father had died shortly before this happened. But there are lots of, of people that, that Noah loved who were not getting on the ark. And God had told him, this is for you and for your immediate family. You are the one who has found favor in my eyes. You are the one that I'm going to be gracious to. And Noah had, had family members that had rebelled against God. Noah probably had family members that had laughed at him all the way through this process. And yet when the moment comes and you know what's going to happen, do you not have mercy? Do you not, do you not want, to, want to drag those folks even kicking and screaming onto the ark? Do you not maybe have some idea of sneaking your relatives on board? Do, do, you, do you maybe step back and go, is this thing really going to float? <laughs> is, is it really going to work? Is God really going to flood the planet? I mean, I know it's getting cloudy and I know it looks like it's starting to rain, but, but is it really going to happen? Maybe we should just watch it for a couple of days. I think there could have been a lot of questions with which Noah struggled, but at the end of the day, his faith was as simple as following. He trusted completely to the lordship of, of God, even when he was in a tight spot. He says, you know what? I, God's led me to this point and I'm simply going to follow. Friends, I think a lot of the, the challenges in my life would be worked out if I would just take that attitude. I'm simply going to follow God. I know what God says. I'm going to believe that he's true. I know that I can, I can put my trust in him. He, he's, he's already told me that it isn't going to be easy. If you go to John chapter 16 and you read verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, you will have tribulation in this world. Not if tribulation comes, but you will have tribulation. And then he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The only person that's surprised about my troubles is me. <laughs> you know, I'm the only one that's going, boy, there shouldn't be any rough spots. There shouldn't be any bumps in the road at all. Ought to be smooth sailing. And the Lord says, no, Tom, you ought not be surprised when those challenges come. But even when those challenges come, even when you're in a tight spot, will you follow me? God's not surprised by our difficulties, but even in our challenges, he says, trust me, follow me. I, I, was, uh, I overheard a conversation between a young college graduate recently uh, and her brother, and they were talking. She had just entered the workforce, uh, and, and it wasn't sitting real well with her. She had to you know, get up in the mornings now every day and, and, and go to work, and, and just college was just in the very near uh, rearview mirror, those, those mornings of sitting at Starbucks and sipping coffee and thinking about going to class and writing a paper. And I, I'm not downplaying college. Those of you that are studying, I know that college can be a, a huge challenge. Uh, but, you know, this person was kind of bemoaning the reality of, uh, you know, of, of the new existence. And her brother turned to her and said, well, welcome to the rest of your life. Uh, and he's a little bit older. And, and, and he's been working for a few years. And he kind of knows the ropes a little bit. 
And in a sense, I, I, I want to say this with humility and with care, and I don't want to abuse you in this statement if you're struggling right now, but that's life. Life is struggle. In this world, you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Will you follow me even in a tough marriage? Will you follow me even in a shrinking economy? Will you follow me even when nobody else on your campus will? Will you follow me as servants in the kingdom of God? Not to oversimplify, but faith does mean following. My third observation is this. Faith is trusting in the memory of God. I don't want to skip ahead to the next verse, by the way. I didn't, I didn't tell you that before the, the service, Steve, but hold off on the next verse for just a minute. I want to talk about this for just a second. Faith is trusting God's memory. Noah and his family ended up, I did the math, and I think I did it accurately. I did it four times to make sure. Um, Noah's family was together on the ark for 375 days. Okay, So for a year and 10 days, Noah's family had no touch with the outside world. They just had each other. How much do you love your family? <laughs> I got to thinking about that part of this story. You know, uh, I, we, we did a vacation year in, in um, 2001. We hopped in a suburban, and I had a speaking engagement on the East Coast, and we spent a month together as a family. It, Nate was in high school. Katie was, I think, in maybe eighth or ninth grade, and Jordan was, was in about fourth grade, I guess. And uh, we went on the East Coast, and then we went over to Michigan and stayed with some friends. And, and it, literally, we were gone from St. Louis a month. And we had so many people that looked at us, kind of scratched their heads and said, you know, how did you not kill each other? <laughs> and we actually had a pretty good time. But at the end of, you know, about 30 days, we got home and we could kind of go see our own friends and we kind of go, you know, hang out with other people. We didn't hang around the house a whole lot for a week or two. You know, we were kind of ready to get out and see other people. 375 days with your family and nobody else. <laughs> And not at a resort. <laughs> you, you can't go get a massage, ladies. <laughs> Guys, you can't run out to the golf course. There's no TV on this, on this cruise ship, okay? You can't watch reruns of Gilligan's Island, okay? I mean, how many games of Scrabble can you play? Come on. You're in this dark, kind of dank, you know, clammy, soggy boat, and tight quarters. The music that puts you to sleep at night are animal noises, <laughs> Anytime I'm tempted to think about going on a cruise, I go back and read this passage. You go, I don't, I don't think I ever want to, want to go on a cruise. But, but there you are, all alone with just a few others, but mostly alone with your own thoughts, your own prayers. Pretty soon, don't you start to think, is God going to come through? <laughs> Does God remember we're out here? Is he really going to be faithful? Does he know my wife will kill me if this doesn't turn out well? <laughs> Does he understand what it will do to my marriage? Does he understand my kids are going to hate me if we die on this boat? You begin to think those kinds of thoughts. Does God remember? And that's not unlike thoughts you and I have. Does God remember me here in this crumbling family? Does God remember me here as I'm dealing with this illness that I don't understand? Does God remember the pain in my heart? Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with them on the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Skip ahead to the next page. 
In the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried off from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Now we skip ahead uh, just a verse or two. Then God, no, I'm sorry, not, not ahead on the screen. My bad. But we skip a verse in between there. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. God remembered. God kept to his plan of redemption for Noah, and he will keep to his plan of redemption for you. It doesn't mean that every problem in your life goes away. It may mean that you have even greater problems than you ever realized you could, but it's in the context of God remembering you. Where is the dark night of your soul? Where are my fears and trepidations? If I were going to fill in this blank this morning, how would I fill in this blank? I don't trust God when blank, or I don't trust God for blank. Where would you fill that in? What answer would I give to that? That's part of my faith journey. It's part of your faith journey because we have to understand that God has a long memory. And by the way, that verse doesn't mean that God went, oh yeah, I forgot about Noah, now I remember. It's simply of saying a, way, a way of saying that God kept his promise to Noah. It was never in doubt. It, it might have been an issue in Noah's heart on day 312, <laughs> but it was never a question in the heart of God. And my faith, is trusting in God's memory. Fourthly, faith results in worship. Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Everybody hops off the boat. The ground is dry. The new world is springing to life. And Noah builds an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. God had proven himself trustworthy. He, he had proven that he was uh, not leaving me, that he was not forgetting me, that he was going to care for, for me in this, in this moment just as he had promised. And the knee-jerk reaction is thankfulness. The knee-jerk reaction is praise God for his grace, for his mercy. Noah's natural response was worship. Um, Cindy and I had the opportunity a few years ago, you all know if you've been around for a while, to go to South Africa and to visit there. And we were in Cape Town, and Cindy had, I'd gotten Cindy this one of these little digital cameras before we, we went on the trip, and she had turned into, I, I should have looked up a name of a world-famous photographer this morning, but she probably took like 7,000 pictures in the, in the three weeks we were in South Africa. She actually, when we came across a, a pride of lions that were eating a giraffe, she actually got out of the expedition car to go take pictures. And I'm like, sweetie, we're not at the zoo. There's no fence. Why don't we come back in the, back, back in the Jeep? <clears throat> but she was, uh, she was standing on a curb in front of uh, Desmond Tutu's church, and she was taking pictures. And she took about three or four pictures, and when she finished taking the pictures, uh, she went to, to cross the street, right? And so if you're going to cross the street, what do you naturally do? What do your mom and dad tell you to do? You, you look before you cross, right? So what did she do? She looked left, okay? The problem in South Africa is they don't drive that way. They have the English style of driving, and the cars were coming that way. And when she stepped off the curb, I was standing across the street from her, not 20 feet away, and there was a car about mm, 20 yards that way going about 45 miles an hour. And I screamed. I won't scream as loud. I screamed, Cindy! And she jumped back. And the car went by. And I was so glad I didn't have to call my children and tell them that mom wasn't going to be coming home or was going to be coming home in a body cast. And the next thing I did was I looked both ways the correct way. And I ran across the street. And we had a long hug. <laughs> Scared me to death. But my knee-jerk reaction was I got to get a hold of her. And I got to hold on to her. I got a feeling that Noah was scared to death in the ark. I got a feeling that he's not quite the superhuman guy that we give him credit to be and that his faith was tested greatly. 
And my guess is that when he got off the ark, the first thing he did was he bent down and he kissed the dry, dry ground. And the second thing he did was look to heaven and said, now I'm going to praise God because he's the faithful one. Have you had a moment in your life like that? Have you had a moment where it, it, it dawned on you? Oh my goodness, look at the faithfulness of God. Is your knee-jerk reaction not to praise him? and to worship him, which brings me to my last observation and really the whole point of this because the temptation when you read a story like this is to go, you know, wow, the character in the story, Noah, he's the hero of the story. He built the ark. He got his family. He followed God. He did everything. But Noah's not the hero of the story. God is. The faithful one is. God is the hero. Noah had faith, but God was the provider. He was the promise keeper. In verses, um, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, I'm not going to read those again, but God's talking to Noah about his promise. And God uses this language, my covenant, my promise, the covenant I make, the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever in the Old Testament you see a covenant and it's between so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, the key person in the covenant is the first one mentioned, okay? He's the one that's establishing the covenant. So when God says in verse 13, the covenant between me and the earth, he's saying the covenant that I've established, an everlasting covenant between God and every living creature, the covenant that I have established. God is the promise maker. He's the promise keeper, and he's the trustworthy one. But I want you to notice what he says to to Noah in, in making this promise. What he doesn't say to Noah is, see, I told you it would be okay. <laughs> no, you, you know, you just, you, you should have known all along. Those, you know, those nights where you were wondering whether the ark was actually going to come to rest, whether the water was going to go away. You know, you, sh- you know, you shouldn't have had to worry about that. But no, God doesn't say that. Doesn't say that to Noah. Here's what he says to Noah. He says, hey, Noah, trust me some more. <laughs> Keep trusting me. No, I'm going to give you another chance to trust me because I'm going to make you another promise today. I'm not going to do that ever again. And when you see the rainbow, it's a reminder to you that you can trust me. I used to think that if I got past the, um, the test of faith, whatever that is in my life, <laughs> I used to think there's going to come a day when I've passed the test. And when God says, Tom's finally arrived at his maturity of faith and he doesn't need any more tests. <laughs> I used to think if I could just get past this circumstance or this issue, or this challenge with sin, if I can just move past that, then it'll all be okay. And what I realized as I grow older in my faith and as I read a passage of Scripture like this is that God gives us these opportunities to trust Him in order that we will grow in our faith lessons, but the more we grow, the more He gives us the opportunity to trust even more. And I've come to the conclusion that, that kind of like Noah's situation, life is a series of faith, faith lessons, one after the other. And every day that I wake up and every day that I interact with my family and every day that I pastor this church and every day that I, that I get to do the things that I get to do, which are a real blessing in my life most of the time, <laughs> I have faith lessons. And God says to me every day, trust me again, Tom. Trust me again. The faithful one is in the business, not of producing an easy and smooth life for you or for me, but the faithful one is in the business of producing faith in his children, growing them in their faith until they get home. I wonder what our next great faith lesson is going to be. Let's pray.